Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Have you ever been to Germany? I stopped by in Amsterdam on a choir trip. Um, <laughs> That's not even Germany. In any way. <laughs> You're totally right. Oh my god. <laughs> Have you ever been to Germany? Yes, Amsterdam was like the clogs were ablaze. Oh, I'm such an awful American. That's so funny. Flew, yeah, that country. You know Europe. It is my favorite country. It's all country. the same. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've never. I've never been to Germany. Okay. Have you, you should go. It's great. Have you been? Have you taken the? I have taken the train there. Uh, I guess. Or do you fly? I don't. I just walked. It's always just around right the corner. <laughs> Dude, it's one of those. You gotta. You gotta go across the water though. Do you get in like a pedal swan boat to get there? Yeah, it's just like a puddle. Yeah, it's not exactly the channel. It's not that yeah, much. No, it's, it's really not that like it's overblown. I mean, it we've we've got that. a creek that runs through the middle of the den of Denver, and you can just hop from one side to the other. It's it's like that. Yeah, right? it's just like that. It's just like that. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with liquor and leader. That's another word you made up. That one doesn't exist. It's not. It's a type of song, Thomas. A type of song. Yes, it is. I'm glad you pronounced. I would have said Leider, which is not how that's pronounced. Leider. No, Leader. It's German. Oh, coincidence. Probably. <laughs> what are you What are you drinking today, Jimmy? Beer. Beer? Uh, I'm uh, drinking a Hefeweizen. Ah, see, I'm drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's the champagne of beers. It's I not. know what PBR is, mate. I you am, know? I am acquainted with a PBR. You Are you a, a hipster at heart? Damn right. Did you know? No, I'm just a cheapskate. <laughs> PBR every year wins the Denver Beer Convention uh, category for like light beer, which is like PBR, really? Bud Light, um, Miller Coors. Light, Coors. Yeah. yeah, and PBR sweeps it every year. They've been winning blue. It's not that bad. They've been winning blue ribbons <laughs> for a century now. Yeah, I think it's pretty darn good. So it's beers all around in our stein. Why is that, Tommy? Why are we drinking from stein? I'll answer your question with our quiz question, <gasps> which was, Bob Dylan became aroused straight away by the raw intensity of the songs in this musical. What musical was that, Jimmy? Der Drei Groschen Oper. A good job. Otherwise known as, thank you. The Thruppany Opera. Though the shark's teeth May be lethal Still you see them White and red But you won't see Mackie's flick knife Cause he slashed you and you're dead Jenny Dipper Was a stripper Someone ripped her From ear to ear Though the knife work Was artistic Seems that Mackie was nowhere near Someone's lying 
by the telly with his children and his wife. It's a painting done in crimson. You could sign it, Mac the Knife. Well done for seeing Thropney. Yay! Yay. Oh, I'm sure I'll mess it up as we go on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that um, first contentious point of the night, Thropney, Thropney, it doesn't matter. Over here mm-hmm. in in the U, U of K, uh, we say... Thropney? Thropney. See, yeah, and... Thropney bit. I had never <laughs> heard that pronunciation until we started doing research for this. <laughs> this one is it has been outside of my bailiwick for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And... I, in my mind, it was always called Three Penny. And we were, when we were talking about this earlier, listeners, Jimmy said Threepenny Opera. And I was like, what? Have I been saying that wrong? What, what is this true? And like, I mispronounce stuff all the time, too. So I was like, oh, God, no. Um, but I, So both both are acceptable. We're letting people yeah, know that totally. Both... For you guys, you can say Three Penny. Okay. I don't mind. Because it means... It means, th- it means Three Penny, right? It's It, it does. It's a three... A, a Threepenny bit is like a three pence piece from the old timey money. <laughs> Um, <laughs> a threepenny bit and a bob and a bob you know, a bob a bit and bob is that where that saying comes from sure because the i have i have like when whenever we would sort yeah no that 100 percent must be like sewing supplies and it's like bits and bobs and that makes sense oh that no that that won't be oh it. no bits and, well maybe it is who knows etymologists anyway. in the audience let us know <laughs> Exactly. So we're doing the Thrupney Opera. Thrupney Opera. Um, this is... By the way, I've got so much. Of, I'm going to bring out my German. I'm I'm real excited. I'm going to nod along and be like, mm-hmm, that sounds right. Yeah. I don't speak German, uh-huh. but I love seeing German words <laughs> in a German accent. So that's this, gonna, today's the day I'm going to make that. you a t-shirt that says that. Thank you. <laughs> that may be a nightgown. It's <laughs> um, quite a long quote. <laughs> or just a very small font. Anyway, um, so what is the Thrupney Opera? Well, come on, you're the newbie. Oh God, okay. Um, that's a great question. Just uh, let's go for, go for go for plot. Yeah. So, Thrupney Opera uh, centers. It's a it, it very much acknowledges its existence as a theatrical piece. It is an opera, mm-hmm. both in its existence and in its script. Um, it it centers around a character colloquially known as Mac the Knife, who's kind of a Jack the Ripper style character in. Blah, blah, Old timey, downtrodden Victorian, Victorian, Victorian German England, um, London. London. Um, it feels like Oliver Twist, but with more blood. Um, and so he he is a con man, murderer, um, arsonist, arsonist, rapist, like the anti hero of anti heroes in yeah, a a town filled with treachery and villainy. Um, and it kind of follows his exploits and. I would say his decline, almost. Um, his decline, but also his ascension. But also his eventual and ascension. Exactly. Um, and then, and his relationship with women. Yeah, and all of, uh, many of many, them. Many, many, many um, women. All the women, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess the, the key part of this is that actually really the plot doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that's as, as it, would say this us. is what I found. It's, so, like, I didn't listen to this very explicitly or watch it all the way through until doing research for this podcast. And it is mm-hmm. dense and difficult to decipher this play. Yes. I will say yes. straight it's, off the bat. 
uh, and and at no point. Well, let's we'll, we'll we'll rattle through who did what and when and why. Mm-hmm. So it's written by Bertolt Brecht, mm-hmm. music by Kurt Vile. These are people you um, should know if you do theater. By the exactly. way, I mean really, especially maybe not Kurt Vile, Kurt Vile as much, but definitely Brecht. Definitely Brechty. I mean, come on, we've all written an essay on Brecht. If you haven't, it's um, coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they wrote it back in uh, 1928. It opened in Berlin. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're not even Broadway. We're not West End. We're Berlin, we're, guys. We're we're, um, we're pre World War Two Berlin at this point. Yes. Yep. 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 Um, so this was. I talk about Weimar Germany and my obsession with it a lot. Mm-hmm. This is this is what this this is like news from the Rialto of Weimar Germany. This was Brecht being like, look at what is happening. Yeah here's this show slams it down in your desk yeah. and then what happens two minutes later world war ii um so yeah it opened as der drei goschen oper um i bet you people are gonna be like jimmy your accent's awful <laughs> i actually think it's all right i, okay. I mean uh, the goschen oper you you could fool me <laughs> yeah um in 1928 berlin mm-hmm. um it came over to the states i think uh not not that long not after, long it after didn't it well. didn't do well it only played like 13 or 14 performances yep um so like next time it did really well was um came over to broadway hooray mm-hmm. um in the 56 uh and starred kurt Vell's wife lottie lenya who was also in the original, also in the original production yep. who we'll talk about a lot later because obsession um it's been revived a few times it's sort of also had london productions mm-hmm. um most recently with alan cumming and cindy lopper yes. on broadway you may even be alive to, to, see, to have seen that have on seen the that Tony one. Awards, exactly, and it's it's a it's very popular among uh, college theater departments nowadays. I have found, exactly, it really is. Um, especially, I think theater departments as opposed to musical. You know yes. what I mean? If they're not used to doing musicals, yeah. it's a lovely they're, way in, which we, is fascinating. We we are diving into the deep end of like. This is a this is a musical you study. This is a musical yeah. with a with a lot of. A, yeah. a, a lot to slog through. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think the most of the most recent kind of notable production was last year, just last year, last summer, um, over here uh, at the National, and it wasn't very good. Um, womp womp. One of the things I found very fascinating, first fascinating fact of the day, uh-huh. um, it was the first show to be performed in Berlin after World War Two. What a perfect choice. Um, right? Yeah. And but so uh, apparently you know the cast was made up of prisoners of war mm-hmm. um you know survive jews who survived and come out yeah. and being able to come back to berlin yeah. um it the setting was rubble yeah because that's what you had to work with yeah it's harrowing but like you say i mean so apt yeah so we should in many many ways we should do a quick quick refresher on brecht and some of the like why why this is called the the threepenny opera um yes exactly um so yeah sit down get your notepads out we're gonna be <laughs> learning today okay here's some education we're, i think um, we talked about brecht in relationship to sweeney todd did we not we did we did we definitely because in that sense of sweeney todd has that within it yes. like there's something in there in sweeney todd this idea of like a kind of a greek Harking back to the... There's, know, this, there's this kind of Greek chorus. It's very epic, big yeah. theatre. And then Brecht's, Brecht's thing... Oh, that's hard to say. Brecht's thing 
was uh, you can't say Brecht. That's Brecht. why you have to say Brecht. Yeah, no, that's not. That's hard. I don't have that diphthong. Um, Brecht. Yeah, no. Brecht's Brecht. thing yes. um, was kind of this observational theater. Um, we're not in representational theater. You're not like lifting up the fourth wall to peek into someone's real life. Like you are at a play to watch people pretending to be people to tell you a story with a moral. Exactly. It's for you. This is a place for you to learn and wake up. Yeah. And he was extreme. Like, it, it's not even he was passionate about it. This he he was adamant. To, Do you know? What I mean, there was no two ways about. To it. To the point where way. something described as Brechtian nowadays is referencing that. Like he has an yeah, adjective exactly. named after him. Exactly. Um. So, right. He. Uh, so he, again, he he was growing up. Um. In Germany at this time of change, mm-hmm. um, you know, came through World War One. Here he was, in living in Weimar, Germany, yeah. and seeing all of this overspending, um, the decline starts to happen. Yeah. The, um, the seeds of what would become know, World War Two, exactly. Um, and he's seeing all this, and you know, very very switched on. He was um, eventually became a communist. Yeah. Um. Which is where Weil and him differ, because Weil was wasn't. more of a socialist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Brecht was really, really passionate about kind of being for the people, mm-hmm. um, and really wanted to use theatre in his writing as a way to get people to waken up. So he he really hated um, any sort of illusion illusionary theatre. Yeah. Um, he hated theatres themselves yeah, because like the they would, you know. Yeah, they would just try and bash out all of the important grit mm-hmm. that he felt, yeah. you know, was, he, was integral He, he to was this. not an entertainer. He was an activist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I, like, what are your views on Brecht? I, in a contemporary, like, studying him in theater history, I found it one of uh-huh. the most interesting parts of what was otherwise a very boring class. Um, yeah. I, I think his style and his opinions about presentational theater have shaped a lot of our like postmodern theatrical um, uh, existence. Um, we, we would not be where we are today without Bertolt Brecht. Um, and yeah. in a lot of ways without the, the Threepenny Opera, because this was one of his... I, this was his, this is kind of his training ground, yeah. really. This is where it all kind of began. It's where he got his voice um, out. So the concept about why it's called the Threepenny Opera, or will you say yeah. it in German again? Uh, so it, it is an opera for poor people. Um, yeah. It is an opera that only costs three pennies and only looks like it costs three pennies and is about exactly. things that people who could only pay three pennies to see an opera might be interested in. Exactly. Um, yeah. So Brecht hated what, again, kind of what was going on at that time, like grand opera. Um, and even... We'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, sort of the Wagnerian operas, mm-hmm. which were very everything all consumed together, um, very beautiful, mm-hmm. opulent, and, and dark. So, like Tristan and Isolde is so schmaltzy. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's extremely beautiful, but it's very schmaltzy, and you do get brought into it. Yeah. You feel all this pathos for these characters, right. um, and you know that's that's theater exactly right <laughs> that's, but that's what that but, is but not um, not brecht's theater i mean would not brecht's theater, would you say exactly. this is where i don't know well enough but would you say that brecht thought that was not a story of the people that was not a story of the people who were coming to see shows 
yeah well he was just like stop he was he was just like stop looking at all of this stuff that is taking you out of reality right. because you're ignoring what is happening yeah. um you know I, we're gonna get very close to the bone i think with this podcast because of you know the the day to day um and it's it's that it's that kind of i don't know that kind of almost like a debate of you know we you see it you see it a lot in trends of theater where mm-hmm. you know you'll see things like thrupney opera come into the fold mm-hmm. well maybe not as extreme as that but you know stuff that's a bit more boundary pushing right um and then you'll see beautiful escapism and you'll get your grand hotels and you'll get your right. she loves me yeah. um, it's the it's the eternal question feel all cozy. exactly it's it's the eternal question of do you go the theater do you go to the theater to escape from the real world or to yeah. put a magnifying glass upon the real world yeah are you better brecht are you st- you know, Constantine Stanislavski. Exactly. And you, you have to be one. Yes. You can't be two. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I would, I would, uh, that's a, that's a thesis waiting to happen. Um, exactly. No, I, you, you totally can't be two because I would completely say I am. You're, um, you're welcome late night theater majors who don't know what you're going to write for the paper that's due tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Feel free to, yeah, feel free to reference us. Cite us, please. Don't, Thanks. don't plagiarize. <laughs> Since that fine day, so many have gone But then we thought it best to wash it all away The drunken doctor showed us what to do We took the mess and put it down the loo And for a while a smile was rarely seen Around that knocking shop in Bethnal Green Okay, so... What is right? We're we're kind of starting to talk about it. So yeah, what is it? What, what is it? What is it? This is this is a rough question. So it's called the Thrupani Opera, and we're yep. we're nineteen twenty eight. Is this the earliest show we've talked about on the podcast? It is. We're, we've gone further than we've ever gone before. We've gone further back than even Oklahoma. So yeah, that that should signal something to you. This is before musical theater existed. Exists. Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. But this isn't musical theater because nobody knows what musical theater it's, is. Yet. It's not this. This was part of the like where Oklahoma solidified it. This is kind of some genesis of it. Does that seem yeah. accurate to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I. I still think it's a completely different ballpark. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Because, uh, because it didn't. It, it barely scraped scraped the surface in the states, right? You know what I mean? People right. Were still was, people weren't like, oh, this new art form Zigfield that's come. They were like, get out of yeah, my exactly. theater. Yeah, completely. They were Zigfield following it up. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely fine with that. Um, But meanwhile, obviously, over in Germany, it's a different world. It's a very, very different world. And so other stuff was happening. And and this is one of the things that's kind of bubbled to the surface. Um, So, yeah, I think for this whole, the whole discussion that we make of this, you need to have in your head, this was made at a time when musical theatre didn't exist. Right. And that's why Thrupney Opera is very, very different to anything else you will ever listen to or see. Exactly, because it was something that was was almost s- satirizing opera 
at the time. Yeah, and so yeah. it complete it completely was. Right. That's and, exactly. And what it so was it is automatically then distancing itself in a lot of ways from the conventions of opera. But it's not like it's yeah. landing into musical theater because that bucket hadn't been invented. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, kind of like we were saying before. Um, Brecht wrote this as kind of a direct response to what was called sort of Wagnerian opera. Mm-hmm. Um, who and here's some more German coming. Oh, I'm excited. Um, he produced this concept, or is a part of this concept called Gesam Kunstwerk. Okay, Gesundheit. Um, Thank you. Um, which was the idea of bringing all the disciplines together and b- combining them into this beautiful bubble of illusion. Okay. Right? So you had dance and you had music and soaring orchestras and beautiful lyric and beautiful story mm. all combined together and you're in this dreamy bubble. Um, and uh, people loved it. Uh-huh. You know, people were big, big, big into Wagner. Um, but it it was very much in his game. It, was, it wasn't like, it wasn't pithy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you ever listen to Tristan and Isolde, it's not pithy. Yeah. It's very, very dark and very, very beautiful and heavy but it's still you know you feel pathos and you go to get that cathartic release exactly and to, you know to, I mean? to see to experience a, a story a thing an art yeah exactly exactly um to to you know not have to look at yourself right. to be like ah oh, these people ah yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah do you know what it's, I mean you can go after it but like um, nowadays it's um, it's turning on the soap opera or the or the bachelor even like it, it's the bachelor exactly it's, it's our reality tv yeah. um so, as a contrast to that, Bertolt Brecht developed something called Verfundungst effect. Uh huh. You should say those both. I don't think I said that right. You should say those both next to each other so people can hear them. So, Gesamtkunstwerk and Verfundungst effect. So, the, the, okay. the G, because I'm not even going to try the G one, that's Wagner opera, and the V one, yes. that's Brechtian style. Yes, stuff. exactly. So, if you've done, if you've done some. You know Brecht, high school musical theatre, uh, high school theatre studies. Um, you'll have you'll have heard of Verfundung's effect, um, but basically that is the posh name for epic theatre. Basically, mm. um, that's that the that's the alienation effect, right? It's the alienation effect. Exactly. That's how they listed exactly. in my theatre history textbook. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and it is that idea of bringing you out of this illusionary bubble is being able to look at yourself and think, well, what do I think? What? How do I feel about this? Right. And it's it's how do I? Do you know what I mean? It's coming from you, and that's what Brecht tried to do yeah. at all stages. Yeah. And um, Thorpe Opera was completely his yeah. his training ground, yeah. as, really for that. As I always say, if this seems too heidi for you or too you know inside theater for you, think of how you feel at the end of Act One of Sweeney Todd and at the end of Act Two of Sweeney Todd, and that exactly. is very much this effect that Brecht is going for. You're observing yeah. this story that's happening. Yeah. Because you you don't you you really shouldn't leave Sweeney Todd being like, oh beautiful, right? Like oh they were so in love. Know? I want to go bake someone into pies, <laughs> exactly. which I think more exactly. than anything is the biggest failing of the Tim Burton movie. Um, right, I get completely, but completely. The, um, it was romanticized, exactly. And it shouldn't, but be. we're in, he's a mass murderer, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And so we in, we are we are. We are it's not even that we're in that ballpark with Thrapani. This is like we're building the ballpark. This is the start. This is it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, if you know, if you do know anything about Brecht, if you've heard bits, you'll know some of his techniques, and you'll have seen them played out mm-hmm. in varying degrees in different productions. Because nowadays, I mean, very rarely do people put on a fully, you know, Wertham Dunst effect yeah. 
production. Yeah. That very, I've, I don't think I've ever seen one that I would consider to be, wow, okay, complete. Right. Ticked all the boxes. There. Exactly. Um, but people do pinch, all, you know, all little bits the time. and bobs. Anytime you've seen a narrator step out of the story and start describing what's happening, that's because Brecht exists, you know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, in many ways, like, look at something like Into the Woods, for example, yeah. you mentioned the narrator. Like, look at Into the Woods. That is, you know, a guy who's obviously addressing directly to the audience... Mm-hmm being like hey and then halfway through they completely break the fourth wall right. and the characters but, see but then, the do you know what I mean but like, then they, they use it to tell the story and they use it to, you know observe these characters doing this thing exactly don't sympathize with them yes uh huh so that is you know that's where the contemporary you know illusionary bubble the guess I'm Kunstwerk starts to work back in yes um so some of the, I mean, let's go through some of the techniques. I always think this is fun because it was, you know, I, I'm hard back to high school days. It was like the checklist of, I mentioned this, then I mentioned this, yep. then I mentioned um, But, you know, for example, so Brecht always liked to show, for example, any light source, mm-hmm. you saw where that was. Yes. You could you see knew where that was coming the lighting from. instruments through and through. Um, exactly. Famously had one that was lit by car headlamps. Yep. You know, that's that's one of the, yeah. the quote that he would always use. Um there, uh, things like uh, signs. Yes, he was very big on just having signs telling you what was happening or what was about to happening, or then in its own special way giving you some kind of minor commentary into the thing that's about to happen. Yep, exactly. And actually, when we go on to talk a bit about um, sort of Brecht and, and song and how he how he uses that, mm-hmm. um, remind me because I'll, I'll tell a little All bit right. more from from the man himself. Yeah, I've got a little book. Oh, that's adorable little book. I know it's red and small. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We already talked about narrators, but all throughout yep. this opera, there are people coming in telling you the thing that's happening or the thing that's about to happen, just on and on yep. and on. And I guess one of the key parts of Thrupney that you would then use in many other things is song. Yep. You use song. Yep. Um, you know, what play do you know, especially in those days where the characters would just break out into song? Exactly. You know, and, absolutely none. That's hugely alienating. And this one you know? was, it, we're not talking like, you know, Maria sits down with the children and goes, now children, here's how we sing. And then all of a sudden we're singing and like, you've been exactly. eased into this. No, this one is like, da, 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 da. Here's the song. Like. Exactly. Exactly. And then the characters, you know, it's the stage direction is face down stage, walk down stage and look at the audience. Yeah, and you know, sing the song to, to them. Yeah. yeah, in front you come in front of the curtain. Yeah, this you're not in the show. We anymore. we are not um, diegetic by any means. Exactly, exactly. That was this alienation effect. So you could sit back, and you could start to study, and you could be like, okay, what's happening here? Yeah, who's doing what? Why are they doing it? Yep. How do I feel about it? Yeah. Um, these were the things that that Brecht was trying to do. Um. And it's the thing I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we'll probably talk about this a lot as we go through. But I'm very interested as to why Thrupney Opera is the one. Is the one that stuck around? Yeah. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. it was the gateway to another one, which you may have seen stuff of. Mm -hmm. That was a question? Maybe. What's it called? (laughs) So it's called The Rise and Fall of the City of Mahogany. I'm not going to say that. In German, because it's a bit longer. <laughs> it's um, that is not a name on my musical theater radar. So it's check now. This is and again, this is where I'm a bit like, what are we doing? Right. What's going on here? Because it's an opera. Okay. Do you know? I mean, and it's always classed as an opera. Yeah. Um, which is why it's never been eligible for 
you know, any old Tonys. Because it's um, squarely in opera land. Yeah, um, but very, very famous. I think it was 2006. Okay. Uh, there's a DVD of it. You can get it. And there's loads, there's loads and loads on YouTube, show notes and everything like that, um, of uh, Audrey McDonald and um, Patti Lapone uh, are in this. Oh, wow. Uh a production of this and the music is incredible now what basically what he this is Kurt, Ve- uh, Kurt Vell and Bertolt Brecht again, again. Okay. it's the exact same partnership yeah. um, what they had done before Thrupney Opera them kind of getting to know each other and working together they'd written um, a show called Kleine Mahogany mm-hmm. uh, Little Mahogany which is um, basically lots of different little songs from what would eventually become this show mm-hmm. right so it's like that was their idea they did Thrupney Opera, they bashed that out, and then, and then they, they got on to completing... They went back to their thing after they're, like, tiptoeing the into real the water. Thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's very similar themes. Yeah. Um, kind of capitalism and, um, you know, using love as a commodity and yeah. all of these different things. Uh, and so, to me, that's that's actually the pinnacle. That's the one uh-huh. that is the should be the exemplar of Violin Brecht. But it's not the one that but, made it. We've actually got the rough cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know I, what I mean? That, that everyone knows about. I, I wonder, and this is, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but this is a, a concept I've had with a, just in musical theater in general, um, and I think is important to observe. I feel like there is, what's the best way to phrase this? With something like Thrupany, my mm-hmm. mom can go see it. I love my mm-hmm. mom dearly. And can get some of the references, but also enjoy uh-huh. it as a 100% surface level piece of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that actually speaks to Brecht and Viles. Um, uh, like that's that's a failing of the show, right? Yeah. That you yeah, yeah, that yeah. you can get out of it and just like you can walk out the doors and just say, "Oh, what an interesting story about an evil man who I kind of sympathize with." And like right. you're not analyzing society and you're not thinking about like this awful world we live in, but you're like, "Oh, what fun tunes!" Um, exactly. And I, I, I so, wonder if that has made it more of a success because it that that like you can put the mask of accessibility on that kind of fact. Yeah. Let's. I think what we should do is let's talk a bit more. Let's go into the meat of the show, mm-hmm. and we'll revisit that question at the end, and we'll see if we can tease apart what's going on here. This is intense. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. This is my, I'm in drama teacher mode. You should be. This is your job. This is my. If I knew that. Yeah. Yep. This is my job. I love it to death. Feel free to bring me in as a guest lecturer. Nein. 
Ich blieb nicht allgemein Ach, es schien der Mond die ganze Nacht Und es war das Boot am Ufer losgemacht Und es konnte gar nicht So let's, okay, let's go Let's talk about let's the show from the music we're, 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 This is a musical theatre podcast Let's talk, let's about, talk about the, the music. musicals Okay Okay, do you like it? Mm, that's a tough question um, Yeah Jimmy pitched this show to me Saying you're going to hate it um, yeah, which the dear internet never tell me what I'm gonna think about a thing. I want to figure out for myself. Um, <laughs> I it's not one that's gonna go on my like mixtape. Yeah, you know I love the song Mac the Knife, but not from this musical. I love the song right, Mac the right. Knife from Frank Sinatra and Bobby Darin and Ella Fitzgerald, which we absolutely should remember to put in the show notes because she forgets the words yeah. halfway through and it's amazing. Um, exactly, but that and Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, exactly. But if you've heard He's Mac the good. Knife sh- sung by a jazz singer, you have not heard the song Mac the Knife from this show. Um, exactly. It's you really, really haven't. And again, we'll we'll talk about yeah. that. But you there, really haven't. <laughs> you know, there is something, and I wonder if this is just tapping into some like some connection in my mind that hasn't fully crystallized. But watching, so I watch. There's a an HBO ish kind of made for TV adaptation of this one. Um, that not the 1928 film. Not the like black and white in German film. Um, okay, cool. The film is called Mac the Knife. Um, oh, yes. It's got Julie Walters. It's got in Julie it. Walters and a couple other people. It's not great. Um, it's not good. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not. <laughs> it, it was a nice full representation of the whole thing for me to put on in the mm-hmm. background. Um, and the one, I don't think this is a show that translates well to film because that's not the point. It needs to be on stage. But the other thing I noticed was a lot of the. Um, it felt very Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, it felt very Pirates of Penzance. It felt very uh-huh. like a dark retelling of a Gilbert and Sullivan piece, which s- maybe speaks to Brecht and Vile's intent. Um, mm-hmm. Like there, there is an absurd ridiculousness to some of the stuff that's going on. Um, yeah. And uh, <sighs> What I kept going back and forth between is, should I be feeling grossed out and disgusted by this, or should I be laughing at its absurdity? Um, And it was difficult. It was difficult to get through. It's very, you know, they don't do... the, the, The conventions of musical theater that I'm used to that make a piece of musical theater easy to listen to or watch don't exist in this they don't do a good mm-hmm. good job of telegraphing characters names they don't do a good job of like telling you who is related to who and why that's important or setting yeah. up the eventual conflict in like a foreshadowy kind of way um yeah it's just kind of all over the place in the same way that i think opera is but i don't particularly like opera for that reason mm-hmm. um it's not a very cohesive story it's more like a, a semi-abstract painting um and so for there are there are bits and pieces of songs i enjoy the tunes are catchy i love i actually um know kurt vile's music um more than you might imagine i love bits of um the firebrand of florence which is not a not a show anyone pulls out of their pocket anymore. Um, <laughs> I like some of his stuff. I think you mm. can hear him getting his like 
kind like he, this is the birth of what became the musical theater sound for better or for worse it's the reason why mac the knife became a jazz standard when jazz standards started existing like vile tapped into something about music that was catchy and hip and new and you can hear it in this but on the whole <laughs> to answer your question no i don't think i enjoyed it yeah that what i would what i would say and almost to all of your points is i think that's the point i think so too and like um, i i felt that kind of metacognition throughout it like i don't think yeah 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 i'm not supposed to leave this going like oh the shark vein has such right? right like you don't this is not hello dolly yeah yeah you're supposed i think you're supposed to leave feeling grossed out chilled and uh by chilled, I don't mean like chilled. I mean like you mean chilled. like yeah, uh, yeah. Gross out chilled and questioning, and you should be questioning everything. Yeah, um, you know the fact the fact that the last lines of the show are literally a unison chorus, mm-hmm. um, being like uh, we don't we don't know what's going on, uh, and you know pursue injustice, but don't don't act too much on it. Like right. it's, it literally leaves you with this complete question mark in your head yeah. as you then would go back and digest everything else. Right. Um, but you know, like you say about the um, weird plot and the, the mismatched characters and everything like that, that is very from Dunce effect. That is right. That's alienation, alienation because yeah. yeah, you're not supposed to be getting to know these guys. You're not supposed to be able to track the development of Polly right. because it, it's not important. Right. What you're supposed to be seeing is well, how is Polly being utilized? Right. You know what I mean? As a, as a unit yeah. by her father. Yeah. And, you know, like, and things this, like that. I mean, um, th- as you said, this is why we don't see full-on Brechtian productions nowadays is because I think completely. we've we've come to like uh, uh, an, uh, an artist's agreement that we have to trick audiences to a certain extent to enjoying our thing um, yeah. nowadays for it to, because I think the world has geared more capitalistic at this point. And so you have yep. to convince them to pay for it first before you can give them your message. Exactly. Which Brecht would have a field day yeah, with. Exactly. Because it's, that's, I mean, that's the, it's so cap, like the theater is now, you know, run by wall street. It's a capitalist world. Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't understand, but <laughs> Hey, that's who are we to, to judge? It's our livelihood. Um, so, I mean, so, right, so you said you like Mac the Knife. I like Mac the Knife. I like um, some of Polly's songs. The other thing I always, was always in the back of my mind, because I listened to a couple different recordings of this. Um, Uh It's the same, it's the same way I felt when I read the English translation of Don Quixote. I was like, there are jokes and subtleties to this that I don't understand because I'm listening to a translation. Um, Exactly. Yeah, you're like, this isn't right. I'm like, this is, like, you're you're trying, (laughs) but this, this, I think, is more clever and interesting in its original german and now yeah. you've chosen one of the like 16 meanings that this line has exactly for the t- and exactly. so then you it's it's almost impossible to then even compare recordings of different productions because the translations exactly. are so vastly different and then they're just completely rearranged you can't keep them straight like i can't tell I you you know what what the one song that i noticed it with it's the canon song or the army song or yeah the yep, it's got like 16 different names depending upon who translated it um yeah, yeah. and it's just like that is an added barrier to comprehending and understanding the show uh-huh. yeah no completely interesting about the canon song uh that was the one so lotte Lenya, um 
has this kind of foreword, which I was thinking about maybe writing out, but I don't know if that's plagiarism. You Tell us a little bit about it right now, that it won't be plagiarism. Okay, there's just loads of nice moments. I might write down some highlighted quotes. Okay. But um, this, is, this is her talking about the opening. Um, basically, it was disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Berlin opening, everything, everything went like literally everything went wrong, and that hadn't been an easy path either because this was very new. Yeah. Um, and the theatre really took a chance um, uh, yeah. on on both of these guys. Um, and kind of after the producer heard it, they were like, "Well, no, we won't be using any of this music. We'll go back." So it's based on the Beggar's Opera, which has some music in it as well. Right. Um, and uh they were like, well, we'll just go back and use that music and they can't do anything about it. Uh, in the end, they obviously went and used the music. But um, so here we go. This is Lotte Lenya's words. Um, so at no time in... Th- I won't do it in a German accent because that's <laughs> rude. At no time in theatre history did a play draw near its opening in such an atmosphere of utter doom. Also, I think this has also been translated from German. Otherwise, you know, this isn't their first language. Right. So give her, give her some juice. Um... The word around Berlin was that Alfred, who is the producer, um, poor benighted amateur, was stuck with the turkey of all time. Uh, the disasters multiplied. Uh, Carola Nieher, the ideal Polly, had rushed off to Davos uh, to be with her dying husband, Klabunt, um, and she never came back. Uh, after frantic telephone calls, she was re- replaced by Roma Bahn, um, the actor who was to play Mr. Peachum. Uh, she couldn't, I, I love this, she can't remember his name. She's like, the actor who was to play Mr. Peachum, could it have been Peter Lorre? <laughs> who knows, Lotte? Who knows? Uh, backed out. Um, and Eric Ponto was brought from Dresden. Uh, Harold Paulson, or Mackey, from uh, Operetta. Um, and Rosa Valetti, or Mrs. Peachum, a popular star in the Berlin Cabaret, shouted constant protests all the way through. Um, Valetti, uh, and again, another little Lotalinia aside, uh, of all people with her gamey repertory. <laughs> Love it. Don't even know what that means, but <laughs> love it. Uh, screamed that she wouldn't sing those filthy words uh, in the ballad of sexual submissiveness. Um, and on the last day of rehearsal, signed a contract with another producer, uh, confident that she would be free within a week after it closed. Um, Helen Vigel, uh, who uh, was... Ooh, can't remember. Uh, Helen Vigel suddenly burst out with a startling idea for uh, her brothel madam to play her legless a la Lon Chaney, um, pushing herself around a wheel platform, <laughs> as suddenly she was stricken uh, with appendicitis and had to be replaced. Um, there's there's more, like, m- so much more yeah. um, that went on. It was, it was just... This was, the, this was the night before, like, all happened just before. Yeah, people, people either were being pulled out or were doing their best to find their excuse to get out. Exactly, exactly. And Lotte Lenya wasn't even in the programme. Yeah. She, she was getting and Cartvel really because they that was his, his wife yeah. and he went off. Um, but there's a love, lovely little quote just to finish this off uh, at the end where so basically, um, the show went on at the start, people weren't responsive, mm-hmm. uh, and then Canon Song came on, and suddenly they were riotous and they were with it, huh. um, and they got it after Canon Song, um, and the reviews weren't that bad um some of them some of them were obviously <laughs> um but it, it just it caught fire yeah as these things do yeah um so she says here um it basically it, what what would happen because it was such a renowned opening night people would always say to her like i was there mm-hmm. i saw it i saw you uh-huh. you were great um and she says uh 
Da-da-da-da. Even now, anybody who passed through the Berlin of that period and who comes backstage to see me at the Theater de Lille in New York, 28 years later, feels compelled to cry. Of course I was there on opening night. Um, and though I remember that the Schiff Baudam, which is the name of the theatre, had less than 800 seats, I nod. Why not, after all? Sometimes remembering all that madness, even to that blank space in the programme, I'm not even sure that I was there myself. <laughs> I love it. I love her. Uh, That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just it was it was kind of doomed. Yeah. But it was weirdly canon song is the one that solidified it. Was the first one. Yeah. And I kind of see why because it's it's like it's the first kind of like let's all sing together. Well, it's, it's, Here's a catchy chorus. Me, like, it's one of the first ones. Like it could be straight out of a Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, yeah. Completely. Like completely. If it, if it was trying a little less hard to convince you that it was real um yeah it could be like you know the modern major general sings with the pirate king like yeah that, totally, it's the same totally. kind of level of ridiculousness and uh, uh-huh. uh i don't know reckless abandon going on um completely and it would it would wake the audience up do you know what i mean yes like it would completely wake wake them up. So that I think that would be a really good little yeah. fire in. Yeah. Um, I I'm obsessed with the, the music. Well, not all of the music, uh-huh. but there's a lot of this which you know features into my favorite mm-hmm. music theater songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, namely, uh Robo Jenny. Uh huh. Or Pirate, Pirate Jenny. Jenny. Yes. Isn't that great? Sea Robber. Oh, is that? Oh, that makes a lot of sea sense. Sea Robber. Yeah. yeah. I think that's it. Sure. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I speak German. Um, if not, then that's a weird coincidence. Uh, so Pirate Jenny and um, Barbara Song, mm-hmm. um, which on the Broadway recording is literally sung by B. Arthur. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course. She's great. Um, and she gets called a giraffe for fun. Um <laughs> A, a, like Pirate Jenny in, in particular uh-huh. like again if you're out there and you're auditioning and you want a song that you can sink your teeth into and act it's perfect it's incredible it's this tortured song um, also very interesting depending on the translation that you read it will come at different points in the show right? Um, which is always very odd um, same as Barbara's song as well it gets moved around and swapped by characters and things like that yeah. so on the Broadway recording, it's the character of Jenny that sings Pirate Jenny. Uh-huh. Um, in the one that I've been in, in uh, two of the translations that I've read, it's sung by Polly okay. at her wedding to entertain uh, Mackie's troupe. It's so... there. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure musical. Yeah, just a choose-your-own-adventure. Just pick it. Like, who are, it's pick someone... But they, they both, you know, it's, it's this verb from doing stuff. It doesn't actually matter who sings it. Right. You're not... This isn't character right. development. It's, the, it's, it's just important that it's sang. It's important that it's sang. So it's the, mm-hmm. the content and the feeling of the song much more than the line it draws through. Exactly. Because um, so basically the song is about... Um, this uh, I assume this girl called Jenny who works in a hotel or an inn um, and uh, is kind of abused by all the patrons Mm -hmm. because she's just a little girl Um, but there's a ship that comes into the harbour and blows down the city apart from this inn uh, and everyone's like why is that still standing and it's actually because she is the like chief or the captain or the you know the one that they answer to Mm -hmm. and she eventually orders all the men to be killed um, and it's about, 
you know, having power right. and being strong. And but it's a complete dream song. That's the thing. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because both Polly and Jenny are big dreamers. Do you know? What I mean, mm-hmm. they just want they want out of their situation exactly. that they are in for very different reasons. Right. Um. So it works for both of them. Um. It is just an incredible song. I I just I, I just think it's perfect. I genuinely think it's perfect. Um, and this actually harks back to Bob Dylan <laughs> as well. This is this is one of the main songs the that got him. He was so so going. aroused. Yeah, this is very arousing to Bob Dylan. <laughs> um, so that's I mean it's one of my we could kind of go on about them all, but we could be here for hours because I do have something to say yeah. about them all. If if you if you want to chat about one in particular, guys. Come and chat on Reddit, and I'll be there. Jimmy, Jimmy will be there for you with paragraphs. <laughs> I'm there already. I'm just writing them as we speak. I'm getting them set up. I lo- I really really love it. Um, and I know it's it's not to me. It's that thing is to me. It's almost not. It's not musical theatre. Right. It's. I wouldn't put it on my music theatre mixtape. Like exactly. Yeah. Like, say maybe Power Jenny because I really love yeah. it. Yeah. But. You know, third Thrupney finale. I wouldn't put that on no. anyone's mixtape, no. but it's still a very important song, right? Um, that uh, does its job. Yeah. And you gentlemen can wipe off that laugh from your face. Every building and down is a platform. Your whole stinking place will be down to the ground on a dish cheap hotel, standing up, saving sound, and you yell, "Why the hell is that one?" And you yell, why the hell's be that one? All the night through with the noise and to do you wonder who's the person lives up there? Then you see me stepping out into the morning looking nice with a ribbon in my hair and a ship the black the flag at its masthead and the cheering's the air I'm trying the dark is all swarming with men coming off of that ghost if speaking of songs <laughs> doing their job hi seg gebrauchs <laughs> um, <laughs> music gesundheit right can you at least say one of them? Say this Gebrauch one. Music. Yeah, that'll do. That was pretty good. Gebrauch Music. I, um, I feel like I sound like the actors in Forbidden Broadway attempting to speak German when they parody uh, Spring Awakening. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's how you guys do it. Uh, Gebrauch So this is Vials. We're now in Vile Camp. Yeah, what does, what does Gebrauch Music mean? So that is songs being used as a purpose okay. which is something that Vile was so as as, as Brecht it's, was passionate about Bertrand's effect and the alienation effect mm-hmm. um Vile was passionate about songs songs about with a purpose. <laughs> and we're we're not even exactly. talking like songs with a purpose in the show we're talking about like songs with a purpose in life yeah in existence exactly, exactly. right you know this is yeah uh, completely it's, it's like these songs will attack you and you will learn from them yeah um, and he did lots of very interesting things to do that. And one of the key thing was to make them sound difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean, 
to like to make them sing challenging. I mean, you you listen to a Kurt Vile song and it's not A B A B A B or like we got a couple verses and then a chorus. Like they are complex, interesting pieces of sung music, which I think. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. What I was gonna say. And it will just used he used lots of you know different instruments mm-hmm. um, that weren't heard all that often. Yeah. Um, and he just he wanted to make them jarring yeah. so that you had to listen. Do you know yeah. I mean? it was that you can't fall asleep to them. Right. Well, it it also goes against the like the conceit of a traditional operatic aria where like you're impressed of the vocal capabilities of the performer whereas in a vile song exactly. you you have to listen to the words it becomes a song about words and a song about a story and a song about like something you must comprehend as a human being yeah and like i mean the pair of them together they kind of shirked rhyme they weren't like oh here's a really good play on words yes yeah. the half the time the lines just don't rhyme yep or scan. Yeah, at all. But And that's that's fine because you hear it that way. Because you're like, that didn't work. Right. What what did you say? Yeah. Why did you say that? Okay. Yeah, it's it is not and it does it, seem, it seems and you can still tell it's intentional. It doesn't seem like yeah. a mistake um or a lack of skill. Exactly. Um I'm gonna go back to the book. <laughs> My little book. I love this book. It's adorable. Very, it looks like the communist it. manifesto. So interesting. So this book, um, I, the reason I like it is because it's a translation I've never seen on a stage, on a cast recording, anywhere. Huh. I've literally never seen it. But one of the translators was Christopher Isherwood. Okay. Who yeah. wrote I Am A Camera, yeah. which is based on Cabaret. So I like it for that reason. Yeah. I mean, you, um, you there's something um, genuine about the style going on there. He knows it. He knows his stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know? He knows his Weimar. Uh, this is also, this was written post, post, post pre, during Broadway. Uh, no, 1949. Okay. Pre-Broadway. Pre-Broadway. Okay. Okay. Pre-Broadway. Post-war, um, pre-Broadway. This, 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 so I like, because it's very different, that's why I like yeah. it. Anyway, it's got, it's also got that forward and it's got these notes at the back from Brecht himself. Okay. So lesson from Brecht here. Um, and he talks very explicitly in the same way that, you know, and you get your MTI scores, <laughs> you get notes from Pesach and Paul being like, hey guys, how's it right, going? Um, Have a great time. Measure 58, um, <laughs> make sure you remember to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, just be, and it's like, you should really, really feel it. Brett was like, this is how you do theatre. <laughs> All right? Slaps you across the face. Yeah, it literally comes with a slap. Yeah, it's like, shut um, up and listen. Is that the name of the yeah. chapter? Shut up and listen? Yeah, genuinely. Um, so, for example, um, I'm make sure I find the right one. One of the chapters is called "Why must the mounted messenger be mounted?" <laughs> it's a question and I ask a question myself w- every night. Exactly. <laughs> um, on singing the songs, mm-hmm. okay. When he sings, the actor accomplishes a change of function. Nothing is more detestable than when an actor gives the impression of not having noticed that he has left the ground of plain speech and is already singing. The three levels, plain speech, heightened speech and singing, must always remain separate from one another and never can heightened speech be an intensification of plain speech, nor singing of heightened speech. 
That's how'd you feel about that, that's, Tom? <laughs> that's beautiful and is absolutely the antithesis of like contemporary theatr- musical theater. Right. Advice. We might as well just shut down the podcast, right. right? Like nowadays, if you can you imagine like a musical today that sells itself, it's like we're having conversation and now I am singing. Exactly. Full stop. Yeah. Here we go. Like the, right. the lights turn <laughs> on the orchestra as they rise from the pit so you can see them like Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, big arrows pointing at the orchestra. Yeah. Um, yeah, the actor must not only sing, the actor must not only sing, but show a man who is singing. <laughs> he does not attempt so much to project the emotional content of his song. Mm-hmm. And he offers a great breast quote here. Can one offer others food which one has already eaten? <laughs> and he's got a point. Oh, uh, as to display gestures, he loved his gestures. Yes, he did. I can't remember the gestus, gestus. I think that's what it's called. Gesundheit. Come on, a vampire drama. Um, as to <laughs> gestures, which are, so to speak, the customs and usages of the body. Um, to this end, he would do well when studying his part to use not the words of the text, but common current forms of speech which express similar meanings in the everyday idiom. So far as the melody is concerned, he need not follow it blindly. There is a way of speaking against the music, which can be very effective just because of an obstinate matter-of-factness, independent of and incorruptible by the music and rhythm. Also, Brecht really loved a long sentence. Just to let <laughs> you know. Just, it's not even a sentence. That's just a bunch of words. <laughs> it's just a bunch of words. Basically, I think what you're saying there, especially about the music part, is don't stick to the melody because people are going to get lost in it. Right. And it's much more important that you can fire the words out you know what I mean? which is so um, different from opera from traditional exactly where it is very rigid yeah. do you know what i mean um yeah i love this if he drops onto the melody this must be an event to emphasize this the actor can show clearly his own delight in the melody <laughs> so it's literally it's like right so you're singing the, you're singing what's written now so look like you're really enjoying look it like to show people you're really that you're not excited actually, that this is the melody. You're not meaning exactly. <laughs> Fa- it's so fascinating. Well, um, it's a good thing for the actor. I'm on finish, yeah, yeah. Um, It's a good thing for the actor if the musicians are visible during his recitation, and also good if he is allowed to make visible preparations for his recitation. For example, arranging a stool or making himself up, particularly with a song. It is important that the actual process of performance should be visible as such. That's Brecht. I am Brecht and I have spoken. That's true. That is that is Brecht 100%. Exactly. Straight from the horse's mouth what, right there. What I find so fascinating and interesting about it is those conventions, Brecht is very much attempting to use them to create a to create that alienation, to create a seriousness or a disconnect or, you know, it's a very down feeling, whatever it is, around yeah. the art that he's making. Yeah. And I would say those exact strategies are used nowadays in contemporary musical theater solely to create comedy. 
solely to take you out of the moment and make it like I think of you know near the beginning of Book of Mormon when whoever comes in to like we're going to Africa and like they do this whole like Lion King play and then it's like oh no it's Mrs. Such and Such from down the block oh y'all have a nice trip and like Uh that there is something very Brechtian about that because it's like we're taking a break it's when Pizza Rat runs across the back of the stage in a transit (laughs) yes yes it is right it's uh, I mean it literally is exactly it is like we we acknowledge that we are doing a show and that you understand that ha ha ha, ha audience exactly. um and it's not that like attend the tale of sweeney todd you know uh-huh. take this really seriously like we and i'm sure brecht would hate it 100 yeah. percent that we are you know we have turned his strategies on him but i think completely yeah i don't know what i think it's uh, the, well, I mean, he talks a lot again in this book. I I might tape some more bits out and put them in the show notes because mm-hmm. it is. What's it's the really, really What's the book I, officially called? If people are looking for it, it's called the Thrupney Opera Brecht uh, by Peter Smith. Okay, does it Does it have like a <laughs> um, publishing year or something that people could? Nineteen forty nine. Okay, uh, it's the Grove Press edition. Okay. Um. Yep. Uh. It's got yeah authors' notes and Lottie Lane, Yeah, it's red. It's small and red and hardback, and I found it. Um, it's it's lovely, uh, but I will I will write some bits out because like he does he does talk about an audience a lot, and he he talks about what he wants an audience to be. Right. Um, he wants his audience. He never, if for example, he never calls them an audience. He calls them spectators. Right. Um, because that's exactly what he wants it to be. He's very Greek about yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Um, and he he wants them to be smart. Yeah. And he wants them to be intellectual about it. Um, so that they will get, you know, I mean, they will get something yeah. from. He he doesn't want people to come in and enjoy themselves and escape. Do you know? That's right. not, he wants he, them to come in and look at the life outside. It is interesting that he, you know, so much of the so much of Brecht's work and Viles' work is kind of breaking down the tradition of the opera. And I I wonder, yeah. despite you know, Thrupani did not have success on Broadway, but this idea was in the air. Um, and I, I wonder if this kind of breakdown of the art form was necessary to give birth to the contemporary musical theater we know today. Um, I think I've, I mean, I do, I do completely think so because if you think about what musical theater was born from, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about Broadway American musical theater here, right. it was the follies and these comedies, and people just wanted more. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They didn't really want to be patronized. They we're ready to have actors and ready to have story and plot and yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so in many ways that can them pushing it away from these operas mm. and kind of pushing out of that bubble. Yeah. And as well with Gilbert and Sullivan, because Gilbert and Sullivan were slightly mocking opera, right. operas yeah. with their, for, their Savoy with, operas. Which, with much more of a lilt in their step for sure. But exactly, exactly. Like they didn't hate opera. That wasn't their thing. Right. Um, so it, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just it's weird to think that the Opera paved the way to music theater, and I don't think that's true. I don't think so too. But all. I think there's there's something. It's it's why we're talking about it. It's why you find it so interesting. There's yeah, something exactly. There is something exactly. here that appeals to our contemporary musical theater temperament. Definitely. Um, and what I think is interesting mm-hmm. is is this going to be a wave? Is it uh, you know like hundred year wave right. that we write. Do you know what I mean? And in a you know, a decade's time, are we gonna start seeing people tearing the genre apart? Yeah. 
That, Do you know what I mean? That's a good question. I mean, you know, we've talked to no end about Great Comet, but that could very well right. be the beginning of it. Um, is it? You know, that's the thing. Is like, is that is that what's ha- is that what's happening? Right. Um, and I'd be very interested to know because the thing is, is you know, Brecht was doing it, and and Vile as well. They were both doing it very utilitarianly. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they were Marxists, and I'm using a different philosophical term, but as in, I mean, they were they were using, yeah. uh, you know, the the form yeah. as as a tool. They, yeah, they uh, had a purpose as, outside of the form. Exactly, um, but I think for that ever to happen, uh, the theatre would need to allow itself not to make money, right? Which in, do you know what I mean? Yeah, don't, which is impossible. Don't tell any lighting uh, designer yeah. that at this point. Um. A <laughs> So do you know what I mean? So we almost we almost need uh, um, and I, I, this almost sounds very bad. What I was about to say because uh, I was going to say we almost need uh, we almost need another Treaty of Versailles kind of thing because what the Treaty of Versailles did was put all of these sanctions onto Germany, which is why it entered into this state of destitution mm-hmm. and why people got extremely desperate right. and created these right. you know warped forms. Yeah. Well, we you know we we I think we forget how lucky we are that we live in a time where art is a job and not like a fundamental result of the need for human expression. Um, Mm -hmm. And like that people do theaters because it's their people do theaters. God, Um, people People do the theater. (laughs) Actors exist. Performers exist that these people do this art because it's something they want to do and they can find financial stability doing it. Not because at our deep, deepest, most human core, we are people who express ourselves and must find some form of outlet for that. God help us. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, I do think it's a lie sometimes to say that good art only comes out of severe, severe hurt, but there was a lot of severe, severe hurt that made this kind of art. Uh And that's the thing is, it's not even necessarily good art, it's just different art. Yeah. Well, you know that is, it was a genre an important art and encapsulated mm. in a very particular way a very particular time that just writing it all down wouldn't have been able to do exactly it couldn't it couldn't have existed anywhere else and at Ask any other time yeah. Yeah. To eat. he'll steal the shoes from off your feet and then he'll kick you in the face oh don't you love the human race your wife will hang around your neck but you ignore her for a sec she'll kick you in another place oh don't you love the human race and think of all the things you did so you could educate your kids and then they shove it in your face oh don't you love the human race you Admit that life's a joke, a crock of shit, and then you choke. We should be high instead of low, but let's be practical. It isn't so. We should be good instead of base, but let's be practical. It's not the. We case. must admit that life's a joke, a crock of shit, and then you croak. I'm glad we all see eye to eye that life's a bitch, and then you die. Yes, isn't it invidious that everything's so hideous? Let's tie all this up together. Uh-huh. Okay. We we started to get towards it last time, uh-huh. you know, about what what is Thrupney Opera today, what is Thrupney Opera Can you, in general. Do you perform Thrupney opera, opera today? How does this... Yeah. Exactly. Can you ever perform it again? 
Do you know what I mean? Should you so, perform it again? Is yeah, exactly, because you'll be doing it wrong in some right. capacity. Is is, um, is Ben Platt going to be in it in on Broadway in three years? Ex- yeah, exactly. Is uh, are you going to get? Are you going to be able to get Cindy Lauper to draw in the numbers? Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you? I don't think you are. I don't think you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, I mean, this is this is what we're talking about here. And this is something that I feel quite passionate about. And it's almost, we kind of broached on it um, when we talked about hair. Uh-huh. Um, and that, like, you can never charge for production of hair because it's for the poor people. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's for the hippies. It's for the people who are rejecting, right. you know, the, the, the mainstream, yes, the capitalists. exactly. Um, this is the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. To, to charge, like, $200 a ticket to go see the three-penny opera... Right, makes no sense. ...is very weird. Yeah, especially <laughs> with, with such a purpose-written show. Um, yeah. 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 And so I think one of the things that I think has happened with this now, and I think it actually has happened with a lot of Brecht productions, mm-hmm. um, is that it's not Brecht anymore. It's... Oh, let's, um, okay, let's do something fun here. Um, okay, well, what we can do is we can have the lights fly in, mm-hmm. right? So you can see them, and then we'll put this, like, weird cloth, and then people can, like, blah, 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 jump around, and they'll change characters, like, halfway through. Yeah. Let's do that. And I feel like they're like, that's Brecht. Yeah. There, there's It's not. There's, like, a, <laughs> you, you, um, you know, it, that it's like being a vegan who wears a leather belt. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like, you, you, that he would hate that what you would do. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Because you're trying to dress all this up in order to get a show right. that fits as a show. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is an enjoyable, fun experience. Right. But he never set out to write a show. This was That isn't what he wanted. This was never exactly. it was never a piece of entertainment. This was never intended on no. it on its most deepest analysis to be a piece of entertainment. Exactly. And I feel, so the most recent production, this um, National Theatre production, I feel exactly was that. For example, like Peachum was uh, kind of dressed in drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mrs. Peachum was dressed as Anita Berber, who is a sort of Weimar icon. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make any sense in its own right, right. at all. Um, you know, the, the numbers that they did were fine and... Brechtian in the sense that they were isolated, right? Um, but it it was still, you know, you would leave from that being like that was nice. <laughs> you know what I mean, right. you would think like, like, oh, that was good. What fun. a fun night at the theater, which is not the I point. Peachum was a drag, yeah. wasn't that funny? Yeah. I do you mean, know what I mean, I, you're not you're not leaving thinking I hate capitalist right. society and yeah. we need to do something about this. But so then I think this is this is where I think this is. A catch twenty two wrapped inside of a catch twenty two, um, yeah, is like in today's professional theatrical environment, you could never adequately do threepenny opera because yeah. to pay the artists the the wage you think they deserve, they deserve, which I think they absolutely do, you're already not doing it right, you know. Yeah, but you're also not going to convince. 50 people who do this kind of thing well to come together to do your like maybe slightly communist manifesto piece for free because it's a play of the people um exactly like people don't care about this play that much but then that's where it's a catch-22 wrapped in a catch-22 because i think it's important that people listen to this show and its existence is remembered and we keep doing the thing where it pops up every couple years and someone does a production but then you can never do the production accurately. Yeah, exactly. 
I feel I feel like it's all summed up. If you listen to Mac the Knife, sung by Frank Sinatra or Bobby Darin yep. or anyone, they're singing about a mass murderer, yep. right? And it's it's swung and it's an enjoyable experience and you'd rapturously applaud at the end and you go home going, oh, the shark hat. Do you know what I mean? He would be rolling in his grave. Um, But then I also wonder, would he? Because it makes people know what the hell from the opera is. Like, has it actually served its purpose? There's something very Black Mirror about that of like, Mm -hmm. you know... Yeah, people singing about a mass murder of like violin like song written with a purpose, suddenly becoming this pop hit. Um, it's it's really of the songs for to become popular. I think it's the best one too. Um, yeah, because it is just about the plot and is one of the most gently insidious ones. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's not like, and then he raped me and we died, um, yeah. which is some of the... Well, it depends on the translation I, you read, admittedly. I guess that's true. Um, and I mean, and then who, <laughs> what, what jazz singers putting their new spin on it. Um, exactly. Uh, it was written, um, at, again, it was one of these things that all happened right before the show, because the guy who's playing Mackie was like, I don't have enough. Right. I need a number. I need another song. It was... People need to know who I am. Yeah. Just, um, just to appease the star. And then that's right. that's the one that made it out. Exactly, it's it's fascinating. It's a completely fascinating show. This is like of of everything that we will ever do, um, the, nothing will come close to the kind of conversations and things that we can have when we talk about. Oh yeah, Opera, yeah. I this feel. is this is why it's such a popular college show. This is why it's in theater yeah. history textbooks. Exactly, because and, you can talk about it from every perspective until the cows come home. Exactly. Exactly. We've barely talked about what it's about and the morals and, yeah. you know, actually what the hell, you know, Brett was trying to do with yeah. it. Um, Although I will, so that's something you can, I will say to our credit, I think he would, I think Brecht would be pleased that we haven't put too much of our own judgment on some of the morals and the content because this is a show best experienced. This is exactly, that's exactly it. I would seek out a production no matter how amateur, yeah. um, because it's, it, you can, even if you close your eyes, you can still hear the lines <laughs> yes, being delivered. Yes. And there's no getting around it. They're very explicit. Yes. Um, yeah, there, there is no balderized version of this show. You cannot do a censored version of this show. It's just nothing. Thanks. So, I mean, like, next time you listen to Frank Sinatra or Bobby Darin or whoever singing the quote-unquote jazz standard Mac the Knife, maybe, maybe it'll be a little more chilling. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heat, baby And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites With its teeth, baby Scarlet billows start to spread Fancy gloves, though, where's old Maggie Heath, babe? So there's never, never a trace of red. Now on the sidewalk, uh-huh, ooh, Sunday morning, uh-huh, lies a body just oozing life. Can someone sneak in 
round a corner. So that was Thrupney Opera. Thrupney Opera. Thrupney Opera. Der Degroschen Opera. Zwei Groschen Opera. So many translate. Pick, pick your own translation. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I've got a quiz question for you, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Are you excited? I'm so excited. I'm going to read you a primary source quote, and then you have to guess. Well, not you, but the audience. You know how this works. What musical uh, this quote is about. Primary source, yeah, guys. Straight, straight from the horse's mouth. Um, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Here's the quote. From the outside, I'm sure it sounded like all hell had broken loose in my dressing room, which, in fact, it had. I was hysterical. I took to batting practice in my dressing room with a floor lamp. I swung at everything in sight. Mirrors, wig stands, makeup, wardrobe, furniture, everything. And then I heaved a lamp out the second floor window. That was beautifully read. Thank you, thank you. I must say, that was very well I've, read. I've been practicing for at least a minute. Excellent. <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with us, please do. You can find me over on Twitter at Asin Hendrix and YouTube at the same handle. And I'm at Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube. And our show Twitter is Jim and Tomic. Or you can head on over to our website, jimandtomic.com, which has our link to our Reddit discussion where I will be going off on Thrupney Opera. You can... Please come and talk to me about it. Please. I'm so excited about this one to talk about. Please. <laughs> It's Please. Absolutely, you should. It's the best place to have that kind of discussion. Tell your friends about this podcast. Absolutely. And we shall see you next Wednesday. Yes. Promise. <laughs> That's dangerous. That's don't really promise. dangerous. I know. No, don't promise. I don't promise. I take it back. I take it back. Take it back. <laughs> we'll see you sometime. Bye. Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.